Welcome to How You Spend Your Days. The goal of this show is to explore debt, break down the stigma around talking about money, and share my own journey of becoming debt-free. My name is Colin Loretz, and today we are talking about how to make freelancing work. Uh, If you're not a freelancer, stick around because there's a lot of this that can be applied to side projects, consulting, uh, and really anything else where you are trading your time for money. So that might even be something like Lyft and Uber and things like that. So I want to start with the name of this podcast and the quote from Annie Dillard, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. Uh, If you've been following the show for a while, you know that um, one of the goals that I've had is to smooth out my freelancing income. This is really important to me because I think just like most freelancers, I go back and forth between periods of having so much work, tight deadlines, and then periods of just not enough work or slower times. And as a freelancer, if you've been doing this long enough, there is a way to insulate against that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to talk about how you can balance that. Um, But there's also just that is no way to live your life. Uh, you know, having these periods of feast and famine, uh, roller coasters of up and down is just not really good for your stress, your health. Uh, and so finding a way to live as a freelancer is super important. Uh, I think we'll, we'll get into it for sure. But when a freelancer feels like they can work at any time, they often will allow work to take over their life. And that can be really dangerous just because uh, you shouldn't be working every waking hour of every day. You need to find out where the balance is. You need to prioritize your time. Uh, and this is also where I think Vicki Robbins' book, Your Money or Your Life, uh, is a good one to read if you find yourself struggling between that balance of when to trade your time for money. Uh, and as freelancers, that's really what we're doing. We're trading time for money, usually in an hourly rate, or you may be billing in a project basis, or you may be doing something like value-based pricing, which helps to remove the actual time component from your billing, which we'll also talk about in a second. Um, but it's really easy as a freelancer to fall into a trap of trading all of your time for money. And we, again, need to prioritize that time so that you can accomplish other goals in your life and use money as a tool rather than uh, just the the means to the end there. So, so it, it becomes really dangerous to look at your hourly rate and multiply it by all the hours that you could work because you really shouldn't be trying to work every waking hour of every day. Uh, if you do try to do this and are able to find the hours with clients, you're eventually going to burn out. Uh, And that's the whole other side of freelancing is, you know, when you're not in feast and famine mode, you're you could be really busy, but you have to be able to maintain that uh, that pace and make sure that you can, you know, literally live this freelance lifestyle. So today, again, I'm going to talk about finding that balance and to help make sure that you are set up for success as a freelancer. So number one, what I want you to do is to come up with a number. Uh, Oftentimes, the way that I've been uh, running my freelance business is just working on whatever projects come in the door and hoping that the numbers make sense at the end of the month, the end of the year. Uh, and what I've found to be better is to go the other way and come up with the number of how much do you want to make? What if you could give yourself an annual salary? What would that number look like? And the reason why I want you to do this is that you need to come up with the total uh, I guess the, the right way we think about this would be what's the total cost of being a freelancer? Uh, we talk about this when we buy cars. What's the total cost of ownership of a car, total cost of ownership of a home? But very often we don't think about the total cost of our job. 
And in a situation where you have traditional employment, oftentimes a lot of these costs are taken care of for you and hidden from you so that you don't have to worry about them. Oftentimes they end up becoming a part of your total compensation package. But again, a lot of that stuff is taken care of by HR. When you're a freelancer, you really need to take these things into account for yourself. So just to make this more real, let's pretend that you want to make $50,000 a year as take home. That means that you actually need to make a lot more than that in order to take that home. So uh, if whatever financial goals you have warrant that you make at least $50,000, that means that depending on your tax bracket, you're going to have to be making around $65,000. And that essentially equates to 25% for withholding taxes, and then ideally having something like 5% uh, put aside for retirement and or savings and just general time off, uh, sick leave, that kind of stuff. We often take that for granted is that as freelancers, we don't have paid days off. We don't have paid sick days. You don't have vacation days. And so you really need to, again, insulate those kinds of things for yourself. And so that ends up being a 30% take from your uh, revenue, essentially your income uh, that goes into your business that needs to be subtracted before you pay yourself. And so those the first one, that 25% withholding taxes, has to be paid to the IRS uh, every quarter. Um, and there are apps that we'll talk about in a second that will help automate this for you. But what's really important here is to come up with your number. If you have dependents, if you have a certain situation, whether it's student debt, uh, home, whatever your, your bills are, you need to figure out what is the minimum amount of income that I want to make or need to make. Uh, and then you need to take into account your withholding taxes, your retirement. Uh, I would even include things like health insurance and any of these other costs that you know that you need to clear because you're an independent worker. So when you think about it now, you can start to think about setting your expectations. If you know that you need to make 50000 or 60000 or more, then you can start to to come up with what your hourly rate is. Uh, Once you have an hourly rate, you can get a sense of how much you actually need to work. And if you're doing just pure hourly rate-based project work, uh, then it, it ends up being a pretty straight calculation. Uh, and what you end up with is figuring out how many hours you would need to work in a year, a month, and then I would even take it down to a week. Uh, and what I've done when I've done this calculation myself is that the goals that I have um, require me to hit around five to six billable hours in a day. And if you've ever freelanced before, I will just say hitting that is very challenging if you are not disciplined. Uh, there have definitely been days where I, you know, quote unquote worked all day, but ended up with only one, two or three billable hours in a day. Uh, we'll get into the distractions and all the different kinds of uh, kind of meta work that goes into freelancing that can take away from that. Um, but I think what's really important here is to figure out like how you know what your value is you know, your experience, your ability, your skills, what you're offering to clients. And if you're going to just do straight hourly projects, being able to stand by that value and uh, and bill what you're worth. Now, we talked about value-based pricing at the top of the show. And once you feel confident enough in your ability and you're finding the right clients, you can actually work on projects where you're billing based on the value that is delivered to the client. Now, this is the best way to make money as a freelancer because you're not tying your time to how much money you make. However, it can be challenging. Most clients 
do not respond well to this. Um, high value clients are going to, right? And so those are the kind of clients that you do want. Um, and this can be something that if you work at it, you can get good at it. We can definitely put some links to value-based pricing resources in the show notes. It's a really interesting topic, but it does require a lot of confidence and it does require talking to the right clients. Uh, a lot of people don't really value the kinds of things that they're paying for. So someone might want a website, but you'll find really quickly that they just either don't value it for a certain amount of money or maybe they don't value it over a certain amount of money. Uh, and so that might even be a way to figure out you know, what, what they're willing to pay. Uh, oftentimes you'll walk into a project and it's this kind of poker game of like, you show me your cards before you sh- I'll show you mine. And the issue there is it's like, if I don't know how much you're willing to spend, if I don't know how much this project uh, means to you, then I don't even know where to start, right? This, this project could be uh, $1,000, it could be $10,000, it could be $50,000. It really depends on what it's going to mean to your business and how much you know it's going to allow your business to grow. So, you know, again, sit down and let's just take the pure hourly rate approach for now. Is it reasonable for you to work the number of hours that you've calculated? If you know you want to make $50,000 a year, if you're going to bill $50 an hour, what does that math look like? Is it reasonable to expect that you're going to be able to put in that many billable hours per month, per week, per day? Uh, If it's not, then you need to change your expectations. Uh, If you feel like uh, the math doesn't make sense and you're going to have to bill 10 hours a day, then that means your rate is too low. Uh, or you need to figure out ways that you can increase your value and charge a higher rate. So, you know, there are a few levers here that you can turn to make this make sense for you. If you know that you want the kind of lifestyle where you can bill four hours in a day and be done with your day, then what would your hourly rate need to be to make that work? Or can you live with less take-home money at the end of the year? Keeping in mind, you still need to fund your withholding taxes, your retirement, and you know having a little bit on the side for uh, sick leave and all that kind of stuff. Your actual personal savings and things will come out of your personal take home. So I wouldn't necessarily equate for that unless you want to do a forced savings uh, percentage on top of that thirty percent. Now, you know, given that time is finite, it ends up being the most precious resource that you have that you have to plan for. And if you know that's the kind of lifestyle that you want where you're going to be doing four billable hours a day, you need to understand that for every billable hour, there's all this meta work that happens around work, especially if you are doing anything digitally these days. There's email, there's Slack communications, there's meetings, there's all this kind of stuff that goes along with work. And if you can, ideally, you're billing for that. If it's a meeting with a client, they need to understand that that's your time. And you should be billing for that. Um, there are some projects that I have that meetings are not billed. Uh, and some of those are projects that happen, you know, more within the company, uh, you know, the other freelancers and people that I work with to manage the workload that we have. And so it's that meta work of, uh, you know, the invoicing, the time tracking, the just general keeping of the business that you, it's the cost of your business. Uh, and so you need to keep in mind, like maybe you're working an hour a day on the meta work uh, and four hours of billable work. And that's pretty acceptable. Uh, oftentimes you'll find that be more like, you know, 
two hours and four hours is more going to be like that 50% split there. Um, but again, you need to figure out what makes sense for you, what works for you. The issue becomes when you're spending four hours of meta work and one hour of billable work. Uh, if you do that every day, you're going to find at the end of the week, you're really just not going to make ends meet and you're going to feel like you've been working. Uh, that's the deception of all this is that you will feel like you've been working. You'll come home at the end of the day and you will have, again, quote unquote, worked all day, but you haven't been paid for that day. Uh, and so, you know, so you really need to think about how you're going to spend each and every day as a freelancer. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll say it, you know, you have the flexibility of time and place. You can work when you want. The issue is it's almost too much freedom. Most freelancers take advantage of this and they say, you know what, uh, I'm just going to allow my work to just take over my day. I'm going to work from when I wake up to when I go to bed. And maybe you maybe that window's 12 hours. And then again, you only build three hours or four hours. What happened to the other eight? You had you went to lunch. You had a bunch of meta work. You had meetings. You maybe pitched some new clients. Some of that stuff you're not getting paid for. Some of it's important. Some of it can be done. But if you schedule it and you time box it, then you can actually uh, track the time, where time's going and make sure that you can uh, preserve that precious resource of time. Uh, and so time boxing is going to become your friend. So instead of allowing yourself to get into that trap of I can work tonight or I can work on the weekend, uh, you want to make sure that you actually set up a schedule for yourself. This has been probably the most uh, most important change that I've made in how I work is that I now, in striving to hit those six billable hours a day, am focused on hitting a three-hour uh, segment in the morning and a three-hour segment in the afternoon. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, if I need to do something in the morning or the afternoon, then instead I can do a three-hour shift at night. And the only reason why I would say that you should do that is, you know, you have the flexibility of time and place, so you should take advantage of it. Uh, you know, you can go do something during the day that most people can't do because they have a regular job. So maybe you want to spend some time at the yoga studio and instead have a swing work shift. That's fine. Just make sure that your work hours are still constrained to a set of parameters. Otherwise, you'll find yourself just working all the time. And so this really echoes Parkinson's law, which is work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. And we see this all the time. If you have a day to finish a project, it's amazing how much work you can get done. If you have a whole month to do it, it's going to take you all month. You're going to put it off and it's just not going to get done. So if you tell yourself, I'm only going to work between nine and five, Monday through Friday, It'll be amazing to set that boundary, set that barrier so that you know when you're working and when you're not. You can put away your laptop at the end of the day and feel like it's okay to be away from work. You can set that expectation with your clients, which they're going to respect you for. Uh, oftentimes, you know, a client will all, will just contact you because they just assume you're working, but you're setting up that boundary. You need to make sure that that's something that they understand. Uh, and again, that goes back into billing for it. If they want to have a meeting outside your common work hours, maybe that's an, a higher rate. Uh, or you just put your foot down and you don't allow that so that you can control when you're actually doing your work. So I think all of this comes into the hourly rate treadmill that I was talking about, which is that you can 
quickly start to see that the more you work, the more money you could potentially make. But you need to be really careful that the quantity of hours are spent on quality work. Uh, you don't want to be worried about the distractions of email or checking email you know, every 20 minutes, which then sidetracks you. And then all of a sudden, a whole you know, hour, two, three, four hours goes by. And you again, didn't get any billable work done. Uh, You know, again, it feels like you worked all day and you feel like you should have gotten more done, but you did a lot of meta work. It's the things that in some cases were important to get out. You had to get the invoices out so you can get paid. You had to send an email on a follow-up or a pitch so you could get your next project, which is also important. But again, if you only spend your day doing that, and not getting the actual work done, something's going to be short at the end of the week. Uh, I find that bullet journaling is very good for this. Uh, My new system I'll actually post in the show notes um, is I have sat down and looked at the number of hours that I need to work on for each client and each week. And so I currently have three main clients. Uh, This is another thing that I've kind of focused on ever since reading the book Essentialism, which is instead of having five, six, seven, eight clients where I'm frantically switching back and forth between contexts of project A to project B and then having to figure out like, what did I do last time I worked on this project? I have three core projects. Uh, I try to schedule them to certain days. It doesn't always work. Um, But what's nice is that each client has a budget and so they know how many hours they want to spend each month. And so I've divided that up into each week. And then once I hit that budget for the week, I just stop working on that client and I move to the next client. This is where that doesn't always work out, right? Sometimes there are weeks where one client needs just a little bit more uh, and maybe they don't need as much in the following week. And so it's a little bit of an ebb and flow and you have to manage that a little bit. But what's really nice, what I find is it's extremely rewarding to do the work and then at the end of the day, review it. And I essentially in my bullet journal created this little grid system. So if a client has five hours in a week and another client has eight hours in a week and the other client has, let's just say another eight hours in a week, that right there is uh, eight, 16, 21 hours. So 21 hours build in a work week uh, is pretty good for me uh, because there's a lot of meta work that happens around that. Um, That ends up being around 40 billable hours in a pay period, which is every two weeks. Um, So I end up invoicing every two weeks. Uh, And then you can then multiply that by two to get essentially what your monthly income is, uh, you know, before taxes and all that kind of stuff. So um, the big thing here then is how can you reduce the meta work so that you can focus on the meaningful work, the work that your clients are paying for. Uh, The very first thing that um, I would do is start to use a time tracker. So I have used pretty much every time tracker I could possibly find out there, and I'll post a few of them in the show notes. This is a very, I would say, um, individual thing. Uh, Time trackers are going to be different and more appealing to different people. Uh, there are ones that, you know, track every minute of your day. There's ones that track, you know, based on what apps you're in. This is going to be really independent on how you work and what your what your your craft is. Uh, for me, the one that has been working marvelously has been Timeular, uh, T-I-M-E-U-L-A-R.com. And they actually sell like this physical um, eight-sided dice 
like it's this big triangular polyhedral thing that you actually put each project on, like physically write each um, project on each side and you turn it. So whichever project you're working on, it will actually start tracking time for that client. I don't use that device. I don't have it. I use the free version of their software. And I find that I don't need that the hardware gimmick of that. I just need a really good time tracker. And what I really like about their time tracker is that you load in all your projects and this might be each client, this might be by project, whatever you want to do. And when you hit the play button, it starts essentially like filling in your calendar. And so if I started at nine and I hit play and it runs till 930 and I hit stop, now you see a visual representation of how much you worked versus just this like kind of timesheet, like, you know, numbered based thing. Because what's important for me is that if I look at my calendar at the end of the week and it's really just not filled in, that means I didn't do meaningful work. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that everything that I'm tracking is billable. Um, What I've done is every project that's billable, I put into the time tracker and then I also put it on my non-billable tasks because I want to track, at least for the first few weeks, what I'm doing with my time. So if you can track everything that you're doing uh, and you find like, oh, I find myself doing like this podcast, I actually track how much time I spend on the show notes, the editing, the recording, all that kind of stuff. I don't get paid for this show, but it's where some of my time is going. And I at least have been doing this similar to like when someone goes uh, to focus on what they're eating, you maybe count calories for a few weeks just to get a true sense of how much fuel you're putting in your body. But you don't need to really calorie count beyond that once you get a sense of it. So when I first started using Timeular, I tracked everything. I tracked how much time I was spending on the co-working space. I was tracking how much time I was spending in meetings and things I wasn't getting paid for. And then at the end of a few weeks, I started to really see some patterns. And that's where I really started to develop that that system of working for a three-hour shift in the morning and a three-hour shift in the afternoon, uh, which ideally ends up being at six hours uh, in a workday, which is really good. If you've, again, freelanced, hitting six hours can be very challenging. And even if you do the math on your hourly rate, you know, working three or four consistent build hours every day of every week can actually yield a pretty good freelancing business. So if you have any financial goals like I do that where you just need to go above and beyond a little bit, I can hit that five, six hours fairly easily, which is really good. Uh, obviously, that also means bringing in enough work. Uh, and so having a system to automate your proposals, your contracts, your invoices, all that kind of stuff is super important because I really don't want to spend any more time than I have to on doing that. Yes, it's the cost of doing business, but I don't want to spend a whole day sending out invoices. The other half of this is that I don't want to spend, you know, I don't want it to become such a big project that I'm going to have to spend a whole morning on it, or I'm going to have to dread following up on unpaid invoices. And so systems like Bonsai or FreshBooks, uh, they do a lot of the work for you. If someone hasn't paid on time, they're going to send an auto reminder for you. Uh, you know, I use Bonsai, which is really nice because it has proposals, contracts, and invoices all in one place. Uh, FreshBooks has a different subset of those, um, but it really depends, again, on what kind of work you're doing. And again, it just makes it so simple for everything to be in one place. Uh, If you really want to go the extra mile, Bonsai also has a time tracker, so you can just have like everything in one place. Um, 
Again, I personally find Timular to be just a better time tracker for me, uh, but you need to mix and match these things. And again, each tool in each tool area is going to be a little bit individual to you and how you work. So I definitely uh, think that you should practice uh you know playing with a bunch of these and figuring out which ones fit your work style um it's important to note too that like i still use the physical bullet journal on top of this so i use timular to fill in my day and at the end of the day i go through the bullet journal and cross off the number of hours that i worked on for each client in a physical way so that i have a true accounting of like how am i doing for the day or the week which is nice because if if it's wednesday and i'm seeing that i'm just not billing enough then maybe it's time to hunker down on thursday and friday um if it's really bad, something happened, you know, life happens, an emergency came up or something distracted you for a whole half a day, a whole day, then maybe that's where you make that decision. Saturday is going to be a work day for me because today ended up becoming my Saturday, you know, and in some cases, this is also why we want to save for sick days or unexpected things, because you can't expect that you're going to be working 100% effectively, 100% efficiently. Uh, all year long. Uh, you need to take vacations. You need to take some time off. You need to recharge and take some of that value off the table from what you're making so that you can come back the next day and hit it again. So uh, in doing that, I think automating as much of that is also important too. So I'm going to plug um, what I use. There's probably other options out there, but again, this has been working out really well for me, uh, which is catch.co. Um, C-A-T-C-H.co. And what this does for me is it automates my my tax withholding and my retirement. Uh, it also does time off and sick leave and calculates that based on how much money you expect to make for the year. So every time I uh, have a payment from a client, I get a notification from Catch the next day. And basically they say, hey, was this a paycheck? Yes or no? And if it was yes, then it automatically takes out uh, just like I said, 25% withholding, 5% retirement, and then you can toggle each of those percentages based on your own situation. So you can actually do forced time off and sick leave. If you know that you need to make yourself save for that, put a few percentage points into that, put a few percentage points into retirement. Uh, if you don't already have some kind of retirement vehicle as a freelancer, it's super important uh, because if you look at any of your peers that have a regular, you know, full total compensation package at a company, most of the time that includes a 401k and it includes a 401k match in most situations too. We don't have that as freelancers. You are your boss. You are giving yourself all these freedoms of time and place and being able to work on things that you want to work on, but then you need to be disciplined in what you're going to be doing with retirement and withholding and really just setting yourself up for the future. So uh, I know that this has been a lot of things brain dumped uh, here, but I really do believe that once you set up all these things that I talk about, it becomes really easy to manage. It really only requires about half an hour each week to really just kind of take stock of how the week is going to see how your business is doing you're automating as much as you can so that you can focus on doing your craft and building your business uh, and being a successful freelancer so a lot of these things are also going to apply to you if you uh, are a 1099 employee of any kind if you're an uber or a lyft driver you need to worry about withholding taxes. Uh, if you're doing that exclusively, then again, you don't have retirement. You don't have time off. 
these are things that you can do no matter what kind of business you're running, uh, if this is your side business and or if you're thinking about taking the leap from a regular job to being coming a freelancer, you know, it can be really rewarding, but it just you need to know the things that you're going to get into and make sure that you're planning for those ahead of time. So if this has jogged any questions or comments for you, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out via email. Uh, which is how you spend at gmail.com or on Instagram at how you spend. And I'm just really excited to kind of hear your feedback, uh, see how you're doing in your own freelance journeys. Uh, if you have any money stories or small wins that you've celebrated, I'd also love to get you on the show. Um, we have this really cool um, new group if you're in the Reno Tahoe area, uh, which I know the show is not just limited to that, but we do now have a Reno Fire group on meetup.com. You can check that out uh, if you go to meetup.com and search for Reno Fire. Uh, hopefully that will be just another outlet for people to discuss uh, you know, money and break down that stigma around talking about it and just get people uh, excited to hit their money goals and uh, have more financially fit futures. So uh, we will see you next week. Thanks. Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions.